This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Later, we will be reviewing Discovery Episode 405, The Examples. But as always, we're going to start with the news. And the first bit of news is that there's a game that I might actually want to play. What's great is there's Star Trek gaming news. This kind of came as a surprise uh, last week during the gaming awards. We got sent this press release in the middle of the night where they announced a game called Star Trek Resurgence. It's from a company called Dramatic Labs, which is a, a new company, but it's a lot of people who worked on some big games before. It's a PC and console games. So it's a real game, video game. It's what they call it's a third person choice driven adventure game. It's a story driven game. It's hard to describe, but if you if you're familiar with Telltale, they do a lot of very popular games. Uh, they did a whole series of Walking Dead games and uh, something called The Wolf Among Us, and they did a Game of Thrones game. These are fun. They're not all shooting and that kind of stuff. That's the thing. Like I've, je- I tend to resist Star Trek games because most of them go for that obvious shoot 'em up kind of thing, which to me is just not worth it, not interesting. But this, I read the description and I was like, "Ooh, they unravel a sinister mystery involving alien civilizations." So that seemed like something that might really be fun. Um, it's set in the twenty fourth century. Looks like right after Nemesis. Everyone's wearing first contact uniforms. So it might be during the movie era somewhere they released a trailer. I mean, so this has been happening behind the scenes because often games have a very long lead time uh, years. This thing is well into development. It's coming out in the spring. They released a trailer. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, the Spock is in the trailer. Hmm. So I guess it would be before the Hobus star event when he uh, disappeared into that and went to another timeline. Um, but it's kind of the older ambassador Spock. They brought in a pretty good voice actor, it sounds like. But he's not a main thing. There's a couple of main characters, and uh, it's set on a new ship, a Starfleet ship. So just really looking forward to getting back to some Star Trek gaming. Yeah, I might even venture into some Star Trek gaming. <laughs> There was a, another little update about Star Trek The Motion Picture 4K UHD remaster of the Director's Edition. We still don't have a release date, but they released some more pictures. And, you know, just go to the website or StarTrek.com to look at them. I mean, it just, it just looks amazing. Some of the CGI yeah. work, it's just amazing. People on social are all ooing and aahing over it, for sure. Another super exciting project for 2022, which is only a few weeks away, two weeks away. Really? I'm not ready. (laughs) We also have some news on this documentary about William Shatner's trip into space, which we talked about a while ago, which is that it is available. It's on Amazon Prime, which is, of course, not surprising, as we already discussed. The trailer is on our site. It's a one hour documentary. And then just to go along with that, it turns out that the United States Federal Aviation Administration has officially designated William Shatner as an astronaut. Captain Kirk is technically an astronaut. He is. He has astronaut wings. Um, he's, <laughs> he's listed. Um, there's 24 people on an official FAA site that are commercial astronauts, so non-NASA astronauts. They doubled the size of the list. This, you know, So they, they added Richard Branson and 
Jeff Bezos and you know and 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 Shatner and and a handful of others. So at some point there will be more people on this list than official astronaut astronauts, you know, from NASA and the you know and the military. So we haven't reached that point yet, but maybe within a decade we'll get to the point where more quote unquote regular folk <laughs> will have gone up into space for right. you know whatever it costs to go up into space. The documentary looks good. It's an hour, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, a lot of stuff with his family. So it's worth checking out. Uh, but it is, you know, a sort of hour long commercial for Blue Origin and spending yeah. $200,000 or whatever it is to go into space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it'll still be a fun watch. I'm probably going to check it out this weekend. There's a little bit of biz news, inside baseball business news. A name you've probably seen uh, in the credits of Star Trek, all the Star Trek shows, and uh, we've interviewed her, is uh, Heather Caden, who has been Alex Kurtzman's producing partner for... 12 years. Since since he started his production company. And I think she was with him when he had the production company with Bob Orsi even before that. Yep. So. Yeah, she was. Anyway, she's leaving the production company. It's not an acrimonious thing. She's just decided to go out on her own. But that means she's no longer going to be involved in the Star Trek show. I mean, she really is one of those people you don't know about, but has been there behind the scenes, helping put the shows together, hiring directors, all of that kind of stuff. We don't know what this means for Star Trek. Probably in the end, not much. But it is a another changing of the guard from the people who brought us the first phase of Star Trek. You know, as we've mentioned before, a lot of the CBS executives are gone. Paramount executives, they've all been in the last year or so replaced. Kurtzman's kind of the only one left. Well, he they promoted Aaron Bayers, who's been around for a while for all of these projects. Um, That's has not, true. Has not been promoted to president of television. So for um, Kurtzman's production company, not for yeah, CBS. right, right. You've probably seen his name in the credits too. So he's basically taking on her role. So I guess Alex and Aaron are the the last two standing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so ominous. Now, I mean, it's just Hollywood. You know, people staying at a company for a dozen years is actually noteworthy these days. You know, we wish her the best and. Uh, Hopefully Aaron and Alex are cooking up all sorts of new Star Trek TV shows. I'm sure they are. So Paramount Plus, which is an app that we sometimes make fun of a little or complain about, is actually doing something kind of cool for a change, which is that they just launched live channels, um, taking their cue from Pluto, and have a Star Trek channel already, which is going to have Discovery, Picard, Enterprise, Next Generation. I'm not sure what else. Those were the shows listed, but I assume they have all of them. I don't know what they'll be putting in there, but they have access to everything. It's basically if you are all, what all these live channels are is if you are just confronted with choice and don't know what to do, it's like watching old fashioned TV. You can tune into the Star Trek channel or the SpongeBob Nickelodeon channel or whatever, and just watch whatever's there very much like Pluto, except in this case, there are no ads whether or not you're paying for the ad tier or not for now there's no ads for these channels it's if you have peacock they have something very similar um netflix is also looking into something like this it's it's there's a lot of people who just don't like dealing with choice and just want to turn on and tune in as it were so it's a nice little 
feature to have, and it's nice that they're enhancing the Paramount Plus app. I'd like to know how they're curating them, because I would, you know, as a programmer, you could have a lot of fun deciding how to put things together. They tend to show them in 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 blocks. There's like a bunch of Enterprise episodes and a bunch of next gen episodes I've noticed. So I'm not really sure how they are, like if they're theming them or something like that. Well, I have a lot of suggestions. So if they want to call, I'm available. <laughs> if you I'm just go to that oh, was going to be my question. How do you find it? <laughs> <laughs> well, a live portion of Paramount Plus has existed since it was CBS All Access. So there's always been a live portion, which um, includes the a sports channel and a news channel and your local CBS affiliate and an Entertainment Tonight channel have, have been there forever. A lot of people haven't even noticed that. But if you want to watch a live NFL game on the Sunday, you just click the live tab. So now the live tab has a couple dozen more channels in there. It's just been added to that button called live. So search for it, but it's there. It's always been there. I'll take a look. And there was (laughs) another bit of news from Paramount Plus, which is that the most watched original series on Paramount Plus in this year is Star Trek Discovery. There you go. I was a little, because they introduced a lot of new stuff this year. And I know that even though it's not my bag, um, iCarly was very popular, got a lot of buzz. Apparently it was the second most watched. It's Paramount not your Plus. bag? No iCarly yeah. for you? I've never seen I, it either. I've never <laughs> seen it. You know, there's a SpongeBob show. Uh, who knows what's going to be the thing that pops on Paramount Plus, but it's still a Star Trek show. NFL games, I think, is still probably the most popular feature. Maybe even RuPaul's Drag Race. Who knows? I, I'd, I'd be curious to see what is getting the most streams when you, you look at the larger whole, as it were. Right. But original programming, which is very important, obviously, Star Trek is still number one. And which, again, brings us to the why haven't they announced season five yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's switch to Discovery News, which is black alert for people worried about spoilers. But we're going to talk about a panel that happened on Wednesday night, a 92nd Street Y panel with producers from Star Trek Discovery, along with Sonequa Martin-Green. Because there was one thing Alex said, which is reading the tea leaves level about season five. Okay, so <laughs> it wasn't, he didn't use the words five or season in a sentence, but he was asked a generic question about what kind of captain is Michael? Is she like one of the other captains, you know, in Star Trek history? And he's, you know, he said, well, a little, you got a little Kirk, you got a little Picard, a little Janeway in there, but really, um, she's not really built to be like any one of them. She's her own thing. And then he said, you know, basically season four, was structured around this concept of every episode is written in what does this tell us about Michael being captain? Right. Um, And how does it move her forward? Which I thought was an interesting approach. And I think we're seeing that. I think every episode tests a different element of her captainness. And when we get into the episode review, I think this episode certainly did that. But then the tea leaf we get from Alex is (laughs) he says, hopefully by the end of the season, she has a stronger sense of who she is as a captain. But I will tell you that I think she probably wouldn't be able to answer that question, the question of what kind of captain is she, fully until the series was over. 
So and that's when Tony's spidey senses started tingling. So he's basically saying there's the end of the season and then there's the end of the series. And those are two different dates. So um, if they're two different dates, then there would have to be more seasons, you know, ipso facto, right? Yeah. At least one more. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, but this is, this is what we've got folks. We don't have him talking about the next season or a writer's room or anything like that. No, we have like a quarter of a sentence but we'll take it. It was an interesting discussion, I thought, overall. Like a lot of times when they do these panels, they give sort of quick answers, answers that you hear all the time. And and this, because it, it was there were fewer of them and it was for longer, maybe, they actually got to like really, I think, dig into some of the some of the topics, some of the relationships, things that I haven't heard them talk about in such detail before. But then right near the end, um, Olatunde had said something that, I mean, I really, this is a spoiler. And if you don't want to know this one, you might want to skip ahead a little bit <laughs> because he told us something that we don't know yet about the season. If you watched this thing on Wednesday night, you were basically spoiled somewhat about Thursday's episode because up till this week, we've believed right. that the big bad, this, which, you know, why did we believe it? Because they told us the big bad this <laughs> season was a scientific anomaly, this phenomenon. Right. And that's what was supposed to be so interesting about it was that it's without intention. And it's just this unpredictable thing that they don't know about and have to deal with. Which is the allegory of the pandemic because the pandemic has no will. It just kind of goes where it goes and will infect anybody. So everybody has to deal with it. You can't reason with it, etc. But when Tunde was asked, you know, what's kind of the big thing takeaway he takes from the season, he says, the season to me resonates because you have, quote, two opposing forces. Yes. And he goes on to say that both of these forces think they're good and thinks the other one is evil. The operative word being think. Yes. So, so natural phenomena do not think they just are, you know, so uh, even the space amoeba or, you know, or the doomsday machine didn't think, right. you know, th so there is a will, there is a consciousness, something which we'll get into in the episode, something created the DMA. And, you know, that's still the big mystery, of course, but this is kind of blows open the whole, the season doesn't really have a villain. I guess it does. It does. But if you look at the rest of what he said, he's uh, he's talking about how the point of it, I think he wanted to get to, was that you have these two opposing sides who don't have any connection or understanding between them. And what do you do when that's the case? Which is definitely still <laughs> an allegory to what's going on in America right now and in, and playing out in many places, I think, across the globe. But yeah, it definitely isn't what we were, I would say, specifically told. <laughs> Well, I brought this up, I think, uh, last episode, though, of uh, the fact that all the cadets kind of didn't know how to communicate with each other because they were used to their own little worlds, right. literal worlds. And I said, is this an allegory? You know, so we talked about this on the last podcast. So, you know, that ties into the same thing of the world we live in where you consume one set of media or another set of media. Therefore, each of you has your own set of facts and you believe you're right and they believe they're right and it's very difficult for two sides who have such fundamental disagreements to get along or to even communicate at all so he did 
kind of indicate that there would be some attempt for a coming together of the minds. So, you know, I was joking last week that there will never be a scene where Michael has to talk to the anomaly and convince the anomaly to stop being bad, but <laughs> maybe that is going to happen, you know, except that it won't be the anomaly. The anomaly is just the tool of whoever the, the people right. behind the anomaly. So she won't say hello anomaly, but she will talk to whoever the thing is. And we'll get more to that as we get into the review, which I guess we should, right? Do we have any, Oh, we have a little other. <laughs> there was a fun moment during the discussion last night where the moderator asked who came up with let's fly as a, you know, captain's tagline. Um, and nobody took credit for it. <laughs> it was just sort of funny. I mean, for me, those discussions are always funny because I think, you know, Picard had all these, you know, lines that we got familiar with, but I don't think it's been a necessary thing, but all these show, you know, lower decks, addressed it like it was something every captain has to have in a funny way and you know saru was trying to come up with something and i i mean to me let's fly is I'm, they don't say it a lot because it just sounds sort of silly <laughs> yeah i i think they put too much weight on yeah what's her catchphrase and i'm glad that they aren't leaning into it you know apparently it's going to come back so michelle paradise said that I don't think it's that important. The let's fly thing. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Yeah. But I agree it's... with you. I doubt that back in 1987, they were all sitting around a room saying, you know, eventually engage and make it so became a thing. But I bet you the first time it was written into a script, there was zero thought that went into it. Right. It was only later. And, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, in the movies, they kind of, you know, when Zephyr Cochran, says engage and they look at each other you know they they kind of backed out and realized it was a catchphrase but i don't think they went in trying to make it one yeah and i don't think there's any rule that a captain needs one but yeah whatever anyway it was just it was a funny moment because they all just kind of kept trying to pass it to the next person and nobody nobody claimed it <laughs> the only other thing was picking up on last week. We talked about how Mary Wiseman did a round of interviews as she exited for Starfleet Academy. Michelle Paradise in another interview said something very similar about the return of Tilly. She said she is definitely still in the world, meaning the world of Star Trek. I expect that we'll see her again for sure. We didn't send her far, far away. We're keeping her close. But this episode, which we're about to review, she's no longer in the credits. And she was in the credits since episode one, even though she yeah. didn't appear till episode three. So she is she's gone, you know. Now it could be a ploy, but I don't think it is. I think she is gone from the show. She may be back as a regular later or recurring, but I think it was a personal or professional decision. But one thing is for sure. And one of the reasons I want to talk about this is because I think some fans out there think that some suit decided to replace Mary Wiseman with Blue DeBario. And that's not what happened. I've seen this comment and they're replacing the character. That's clearly not what's happening. The way CBS is acting, the way Mary and Blue DeBario interact with each other. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> joking about doing a spinoff together. No, and, and Mary's a huge fan favorite. People love her. 
Yeah. So that would the, that would be a stupid move if you were an executive. I think it's it is both a personal professional decision on her part, and they're setting her up for possibly another spinoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if there's a season five, if there isn't a spinoff, then she'll be back on the show. Um, if her if she wants to be and can be, I know she's doing a play in the in the spring on Broadway. Right? Yeah, it's on Broadway and it uh, opens in February. I'm trying to keep an eye on it because I want to get tickets. Yeah, I, you know, so if they were and to start shooting next year, that would be a problem. It's if interesting. They wanted her. Sorry, just about the play. Carolyn McCormick is also in it, who's a Star Trek guest star. She was Minuet on Next Generation. But the amount of, I mean, the, how much work Paramount Plus publicity, you know, they put her out for all these interviews, they're promoting all the interviews on social media. Both Blue DeBario and Mary Wiseman recorded those Star Trek logs. You know, they're doing all these fun little social things about saying goodbye to her. So they're making this into a kind of publicity event, her leaving the show. They're not trying to hide it or make something bad out of it. They're trying to make it into a good thing. Right. For whatever that's worth. But definitely, she's not in the credits this week. Uh, Tig Notaro is. Uh, no, and Blue DeBario is not in the opening credits this week. And doesn't yeah. have any scenes. But usually, you know, when you watch a show, usually there's contractual things that put those actors' names and, you know, in the opening credits. That's a big deal. And it's also when you see someone who gets like an and or a with, that's a specifically negotiated detail as well. Yeah, it's all very meticulous. Who goes first and second? And it's all a thing. You know, they at least are making it look like she's gone by taking her out. Okay. So, so let's move past the credits. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's try and get a little deeper into the show. So you really like this one. I loved it. I think it's the best one of the season. I really liked it a lot. And I thought they got back on track with a lot of stuff. Not the best. one. It's hard for me to say best one of the season because I am missing Tilly a lot. But I do think it was great. It was really, really strong. Tilly did get name dropped by uh, Jet Reno, but yes, I, I it was kind of funny and sweet because Saru adds the little I miss her too. Yeah. Yeah, she would have made the episode better for sure, but I, I still liked it again because I like my stories where you've got you've got big plot stuff happening, you got lots of character development, you got lots of action, a little bit of humor. It's all woven together seamlessly. And we know. didn't have to you know, sometimes we have to pause for those character moments. And I felt like for the most part, they just happened right alongside the action. We had a lot of Star Trek lore. We had a, a map with like every Star oh. Trek planet on it. Um, we had <laughs> some archetypes. Yeah, sorry. Species that we're familiar with as well. Archetypal Star Trek types. You've got the arrogant administrator. You've got the... A uh, narcissist scientist, you know. The quirky, eccentric, yeah. So the dignified person, you know, with their serious, respectful story. I don't know. It was, there was, a, and they also actually had good guest stars, I thought, too. Two wall really to wall. strong, two very strong guest stars, um, Sean Doyle and Michael Grayeyes, who yeah. brought a lot to what they did and made what, so, you know, what can sometimes feel like a trope into something compelling yeah especially the gray eyes felix character which was <laughs> felix know. i thought was an odd name but okay it was it was it was not very alien you know might as well have called himself bob or something it yeah. just it just felix. was so 
but uh, otherwise, I thought um, a good character. He enhanced it for sure because it was not a one-dimensional character. All the other prisoners were one-dimensional. Yeah. Um, he he was two and a half dimensional, and Michael Gray Eyes made him three dimensional. I think. Yeah, he's an intense actor, so he just brings a lot to to very small moments. We got some Dave Cronenberg. Back to his old self, I'd like to say. Back to the person that interests me. Yes and no. I mean, back to being um, harsh and brutal, but kind of implying that he's just a, well, just is the wrong word, but he's a therapist, essentially. Yeah. Is that his job? He has to somehow be that because otherwise I don't think Culver would have consulted him. But he just seems to be the expert on everything. Right. So he, in one of his many roles, he's a therapist. He could cut out 10 minutes of his day to give therapy sessions <laughs> via hologram at a great distance. I mean, really zooming, you know, they're taking the zoom call to a, to a great extent. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even the guy, I, I, I can't remember his name, but the guy who played the annoying administrator was solid, you know, cause he, yeah, yep. he nailed being a jerk and you liked it when he, was dressed down by Michael. So, yeah, everyone, you know, and Tig is not a guest star technically, obviously, but uh, we haven't seen her in quite a while. So it was great to have her um, in the episode as well. With that magistrate character, that was also to tell you sort of the state of the Federation in this time period and how people view it and, and, you know, as they tried to figure out, well, you weren't under Federation jurisdiction, but now we're helping. So how involved can we get? I thought that was a nice way to do that without just having people sitting around a negotiating table. And a little bit of flex on Michael saying, you know, we're back. We're the Federation. We believe we're, we're the good guys. And you're basically a refugee now. Kind of dunking on the Emerald Chain, as it were. Uh, but uh, since I never liked the Emerald Chain, I, you know, I'll allow it. <laughs> Did they call you before just to make sure? Yes. <laughs> you want to get into the different storylines? Yeah. This is a, a solid ABC story structure um, in the right balance, I felt, this time. Yeah, I thought the balance was good and, and there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, last I think last week part of it was that it kind of did it more soap opera style which I've actually heard people use to describe discovery sometimes. And they're not wrong in a certain way, which is that, you know, in a soap opera, you'll cut back to the same scene over and over and over and over. And they just intersperse them. So this one, I felt like I felt like every scene moved something forward instead of just returning to resume the conversation. And they were all at least tangentially related to what was happening and to the DMA. Although when we get into the kind of the experiment thing, there was some questions about why they needed to do it like that moment. But regardless, but it was it was certainly about it's... what was happening in general. And even the Culber storyline, the C story, was triggered by the latest revelations. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the evacuation. It was everything. So I, I, that part I really liked was that they did weave it in. But of course, there there are times where the details kind of elude them. And, and as a Star Trek fan, you look and you go, well, why would you do this when you could do this? Um, and they don't always cover those, but I still think that it came together really well. So which story do you want to start with? 
we have to start with the most important one, I guess, which is, and they hit us right out of the gate where there's a kind of big revelation about the DMA because for a couple of weeks, the DMA was literally taking a week off, just kind of hanging out in space, not bothering anyone. Right. So that they could go off and, you know, have Tilly have an adventure and leave the show. The DMA was back in a big way. It started moving. Disappeared and reappeared. And for some reason, and this was very hand wavy, I admit. They're like, oh, well, obviously it's it's not a natural construct. It's like, really? How do you know? And because like for weeks they've been saying, well, the anomaly is completely unknowable and we can't predict anything. And we, you know, we've got all the Vulcans thinking about it and we just can't come up with anything. And it does one thing and they're like, nailed it. We know exactly. It's not natural. 100%. And they had everybody say it. Oh, well, nothing natural could do that. They made sure to say it a couple of times. Why couldn't an unnatural thing appear and disappear? But whatever. Okay. So they're saying it's not natural. It was made. And, you know, and I, I, I love, you know, again, very Star Trek, very ship nerd. But I love, you know, you're starting in space. There's some ships out there. The the, the, the USS Janeway and the... uh Kapow. The, the Navar ship, the T'Pau, although clearly the captain was a Romulan because T'Pau's captain was a bit emotional, I think, when the DMA <laughs> disappeared. So that's fun and, you know, and very rapid. Like, so you go from that to the ship to Vance, like bang, bang, bang. And yep. you're escalating up, you know, and then Vance starts throwing at it. Maybe it's the Metrons. It's not Q. So they're saying this, you know, this is God level power. That was a good name check, though. They got the uh, the caretaker from Voyager in there. They just, you know, they mixed it up a little. It was nice. This is usually where you're thrown in an extra one that we've never heard of before. Right, you know? right. Yeah, you're usually it's two familiar ones and one new one. <laughs> it was the Q who he's, we haven't heard of in centuries. So apparently the Q have gone out of business in the 25th century or something like that. Or just decided to leave everybody alone. Who the else? Machine, which I believe is the caretaker species, and the Metrons. And the, um... Oh, Iconians. Yeah. Apparently there's a few Iconians hanging around somewhere. <laughs> no mention of the Borg, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Because you figure the Borg by the 32nd century. I don't know. I feel like the Borg either have taken over the galaxy or they're gone. It, it's, but there's yeah. a big question of what's, what's up with the Borg. Because they've had enough time to assimilate the galaxy... Come on, guys, you're you're the Borg. You've either done it or you've not done it. And if they've not done it, then maybe they've shrunk down to one planet or something like that. Yeah, or they're gone. It was a notable absence, I think, because they're like they've kind of given the Borg to Picard. So if anything's going to happen with the Borg, they're going to let Star Trek Picard do it. Yeah, that would be hard to do if you're also trying to hedge your bets for this future. And then off they go to to do some rescues on a little asteroid, which is another Star Trek classic. So there's there's a lot of exposition and stuff. Um, There was a brief everyone sitting around a table, Star Trek style, but they didn't do it too long. Yeah, they moved everything along quickly. I mean, the strange thing, like having Michael and Book go down to that prison to figure out what was going on was such an odd choice. I mean, it made for a very fun series of scenes because the two of them have this great banter and they're so fun to watch together and there was a deeper level to what was going on but it's also it seemed like a very odd choice if it was your ship i don't think you'd say okay captain and then this and and boyfriend (laughs) 
Usually I would agree with you. And I'm agreeing with half of you. They did give a good reason for Book to be there. Because I was joking about how Book has been going through his grieving process. So Book had got his A story, then his B story, then his C story. Um, so now, now he's working through all that. And the way he's decided to work through it is he's going to save as many people as possible to leave no one behind from the DMA. And so he literally begged her to be part of the mission. So they're at least acknowledging that he is, it's not a given that the boyfriend gets to go along on the away missions. He had to ask to be part of it. The part where I am agreeing with you is they show up at the planet. Michael's in charge of the evacuation of 1,200 people. And as soon as she learns that there's these prisoners being held up as examples and uh, with no chance of escape, she volunteers herself to go completely out of communication. And that's yet another, you know, we've seen this a million times before, but yeah, you should have just sent someone else, you know, like Reese volunteers to take over the evacuation while she goes, it should have been the other way around, really, right? You should have sent Reese and a bunch of security guys to take care of the prisoners. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have a problem but that's with more fun. being in charge of the other operation because I also didn't think the captain has had to personally oversee that. There was no reason for that. But um, it did seem weird that they didn't send anybody with Michael and Book. A whole bunch of guys in the black armor should have gone with them. Yeah. It makes the witty banter, coupley banter between the two of them less fun. So, you know, we know why they don't do that. But uh, this is one of the things you just kind of have to forget and say, come on, you know, half, you know, half the time they show up at a planet and half the bridge crew beams down, you know, in Star Trek, that makes no sense. Like there, right. there's, there's people who do that. You don't send the people on the bridge down to the planet. You... Right, which, you know, Next Generation tried to correct because in the original series, Kirk just went everywhere and did everything. So they were trying to correct that a little bit. He also would go some places with some red shirts who would suffer the red shirt fate, which I think they're trying, you know, they've, they're they not quite as freewheeling in the extra killing department. I, I would have been fine with them sending a couple essentially red shirts and have those little bugs just kind of blow them up or something yep. to show the yep. stakes of the prison and leaving just Michael and book behind. But, you know, as soon as you see a couple of your friends get vaporized, it takes away from that fun banter, I guess. Right. But I liked how it was a good adventure story. It was some fun, but in a way I thought it was to show an arc for book because by the end of the episode, the escape thing and was a nice Star Trek story about Michael having to make a choice. So M Michael's story is about the choice she has to make at the end, but it's also a book story because it's about his new kind of weird obsession. Uh, weird is the wrong word, but he does it's seem to be overly emotionally attached to saving people to the yes. point where he was pissed at his girlfriend for doing what, seems the right thing to do which is to let felix you know have his choice at the end to stay behind right but book has a tremendous amount of guilt and it's obvious that the only way he thinks that he can live with it which is what he was telling culver he didn't know how much longer he could take it and culver was like well you got a long ass time to deal with this um is by rescuing people and stopping anyone else from being killed so it tore him apart really that not only could he not insist on saving Felix, it was the woman he loves who made the decision. As for Michael's decision, I'm not sure if they were trying to hold this up as a 
because it was kind of a pivotal moment, right? Do you essentially force this guy off the planet or do you let him stay there to die? And she's basically, you know, your body, your choice, right? I think she uses the phrase, we have to respect his agency. Yeah, she says agency for sure. You know, this isn't a Tuvix question. I don't think there's any real no. debate here. <laughs> Did the writers think this was going to be a debatable decision on her part? Because Book is there saying, this is wrong. And Michael's saying, no, this is the right thing to do. I feel like Book is just being crazy. Not that this is debatably the wrong thing to do. But I didn't like the fact that they they left some wiggle room. It should have been very clear he was going to die. Right? Because they're like, well, maybe you'll make it. And then like 30 seconds later, nope, you're going to die. And there's no way we can save you. I didn't, I mean, I I thought it was pretty quick where all of a sudden it was too late. Um, Especially considering that at all the, there were several times actually in the episode where something had to be done quickly, but they stopped to make a speech or have a conversation first, even as the clock was ticking. But I don't, I thought it worked just fine that he, that there was a possibility that he would stay, that he would survive because his plan, if he survived, was to still be a prisoner. Right. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to die here, like, you know, in 10 minutes or 10 years, but I'm dying here. Right. This is where I'm going to be. So now let's take a look at our B story, which felt like an A story to me, but it's technically the B story, which is what was going on with Ruan Tarka and Stamets and Saru and Jet Reno. There was a lot happening. I mean, it was mostly happening, I think, between Stamets and Tarka. Poor Saru. The amount of snark in the room, because you've got... Lovely Saru with Jet Reno, Ruan Tarka, who we learn is just as acerbic, and Paul Stamets, who was in his kind of prickly scientist mode here. And, and also uh, furrowed brow Stamets, which I love. <laughs> gives that look. He's so good at it. I love when, yeah. he's, when he's being like that. No, but Saru was great. I was so happy that Saru was involved, much more involved in things. And I thought he was the perfect person to be standing in that room trying to deal with all these nutty scientists. That was a really great combination of characters. He was the only level-headed one of them. With Jet Reno coming in a close second. Yeah. <laughs> But Jet was kind of along for the ride. Jet wasn't going to stop them. I mean, he was the only one who could stop them. Right. She gave him the kill switch, which I thought was great. Like a nice touch. Because he didn't have to ask anyone to do it. He was making it clear from the get-go, like, I'm in charge. He does have a... It's funny. I remember Tilly a few episodes ago telling him he was taller. But yeah, he definitely has a certainty that he did not have before. Boy, did this, you know, Ruin Tarka just come in. They they were not (laughs) subtle in how they wanted you to feel about him because he immediately makes fun of Saru's feet. Yes. (laughs) Just in case. Just in case you're like, ah, I like this guy. Um. (laughs) Well, even before he showed up, though, they were really setting him up in a I almost thought, did maybe it was just me, but from the first mention of the character, Stamets immediately is like, oh, that guy. Yeah, he gets right? all bristly. The way he was introduced on the bridge from behind, like I thought it was going to be like, oh my God, it's this huge guest star we haven't heard of. Not that Doyle isn't a solid actor, solid Canadian actor. I almost feel if this weren't a pandemic, they may have gone bigger. They may have gone up a notch in the guest. He was very good. Yeah, he did great. I have no complaints about his performance, but this is like the first thing that struck me as I was watching was like, this is what I would consider a Jimmy Simpson role. Could have been. I mean, hell, they they, they may have pulled another uh, Brent Spiner member of the uh, Sung family out of their back pocket for this one. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, no, he was good. I recognize him mostly from the expanse, but he's one of those guys that you just, you just know him. Like he was in 24 and he's been in everything. Yeah. Um, and always very solid. Cause I think he's going to be a recurring ca- character. Often a solid, good characters created on discovery. Do you remember that kind of, you know, rebellious guy, when they did the people of earth episode and you're like, Oh, he, they've got to be bringing that guy back. And like, I haven't seen him, you know, so <laughs> they, they, they're often creating kind of interesting characters with strong guest actors, but I think for sure we're going to be seeing this guy again. Right. Yeah. Oh, I think he's going to be very important. He obviously knows more than he's letting on. He's got an agenda that he's not speaking up about. He's provoking everybody on purpose. He's like, he's testing each person individually, like Stamets. He was pushing his, but he tried complimenting him. He tried being rude to him. He tried all these different things. Saru, he had that weird exchange where he got him to yell in his big growly Saru voice, which was fun. (laughs) (laughs) But he's pushing all the buttons to see everything to it all feels like an experiment everything he's doing again like with the other storyline there's a there's a kind of thing that once you think about it doesn't make any sense like this was a great storyline but then you go well why did they need to do it now <laughs> and on the ship like yeah why, on the ship is, especially i mean he's the one who pointed out he shows up on the ship and said ah this thing's an antique and yet the whole point of this experiment is it needs a ton of power Right. And so he's doing it on an antique ship from his point of view that is using a lot of power in the middle of an evacuation He's like now is the time. And this is the place to do my hugely important experiment that could save billions of lives. And he had the schematics already. So it wasn't like he got a missing piece of information. He already had a plan. They could have easily explained this as that he needed to be close to the anomaly or whatever. But I think there is part of it doesn't make sense of why they couldn't have just waited an hour. But, um, you know, (laughs) until the show would be over, Tony. (laughs) Exactly. They're like, well, this is the show's on at eight o'clock and we've got to finish by nine. Yeah, Um, it's not on later. (laughs) Yeah. But I think the answer to why on the discovery is. Not just because that's where the show is. <laughs> it's because because they could have done it at Starfleet HQ. I think he wanted to do it on the Discovery. Somehow mm-hmm. he manipulated because there's something going on. He either wanted to get close to Stamets or clo- I think close to Book. I think something about Book, the way he yep. shows up at the bar at the end with Book. There's something going on. He read Book's file. But that makes sense because Book is one of the spore navigators, but... There's and something. also the person from the planet that was destroyed. So there are two big reasons why he would be up on, on Cleveland Booker. So he's got an agenda. I don't think he's evil per se. Although, you know, with scientists, it's always a fine line of, you know, you make something that is very destructive. Does that make you evil? You know, so maybe he does something that causes, you know, that maybe we're in some kind of weird time loop where he made the i was sort of thinking that he made some part of it that was used by some i feel like he is involved in it in a deeper way which every you know everybody else's book definitely has that sense too that he knows more than he's letting on and i think he has some involvement but he seems to have a sense of wonder of the scale of it like yes the amount of power specifically Right. It's using the power of a hyper giant. And so he, he wasn't, you know, on the let's create the DMA project, but maybe he recognizes part of it as technology he developed or something like that, that someone super powerful 
is manipulating in a way he he it never occurred to him. But yeah, he's he's definitely involved, and or if not, they're you know they created a great character as a one and done because it feels like he's involved. Yeah, or it'll be like Kovic where they'll just pop him into wherever they need him. No, they're not going to do that. But yeah, I th- no, I think he's coming back. I think he's a big part of this, and I think his interest in book was very accentuated by the fact that like the closing line of the episode was nice to meet you mr booker there's definitely something there but if it's not him though getting back to the big mystery of the dma he said it someone is tunneling through space time using a wormhole we've all heard these phrases before but what that sounds like to me is it could be some 23rd century 24th century 22nd century i was gonna say it could be anything from any era maybe it's an accident but see this is the tunde kind of gets in our way because tunde implies (laughs) that this thing has because what you may think is well maybe it's just an accident maybe someone's just trying to communicate and they're accidentally creating a you know the this thing on they didn't mean to, you know, oops, our bad. We destroyed Quay John. We were just trying to phone, you know, give you a phone call. Yeah. Uh, and but... we've had, that's a classic Star Trek story too. We've had stories like that where an alien trying to communicate was doing harm. Yeah. The whale probe. And yeah. yeah. So the, but I, I think it's possibly more than that. Now we got another Star Trek enterprise reference in this episode, subtle, but um, the Kali themselves, the species who were on the asteroid, are an enterprise um, alien. They were pre-warp yep. aliens. Um, I think Captain Archer made out with one of them at one point or yes, something. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is not really important for this episode. Um, but, but we... But helpful to know. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten a few enterprise... I mean, last episode, there was the NX-01 snow globe. There was the Archer station. There may have been... If you look closer, maybe there's been more Enterprise references throughout the season. So could this be something to do with the temporal Cold War? Could they be telegraphing? Oh, yeah. You know, it's Daniels or one of those. You know, it's probably not like the Zindi. It would just be boring if it was the Zindi. Well, the Zindi, I'm sorry. The Zindi were boring the first time around. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Sorry, um, Zindi. But the Sphere Builder, because the Sphere Builders... Um, again, that the whole, that was a similar thing, except they definitely had a will. They were, they were trying to change a part of space to make it more suitable for them. Cause uh, Saru suggests maybe that's what the DMA is doing is it's trying to clear out some space for some, you know, conquering alien species, perhaps. Yeah. We're just wildly throwing stuff against the wall. Well, at this since point. we're wildly throwing stuff against the wall. I'm thinking about these two forces and I'm thinking about what is happening with Zora on the ship. And I'm thinking maybe Zora becomes one of the forces. If I, I mean, if we're headed towards that ultimate Calypso ending eventually. Yes. And, and we have Zora who is now definitely evolving in a strange way. Zorg has been mentioned a lot, but there's a turbo lift scene, which I feel is going to, is definitely drop, dropping breadcrumbs for something that's going to develop later. But yeah, Zora starts wishing Michael condolences and reveals, oh yeah, I have emotions now. (laughs) Like, and, and says it's a recent development. 
Which I don't know if that was my. Sh- I'd be very concerned about a ship's computer that's listening to everybody all the time and has now developed emotions. I would be like, we need to look into that immediately. We already saw before. I mean, when Zora was just the quote sphere data, didn't even have a voice. It was was at least aware enough to want to avoid dying. Right, because they tried to mm-hmm. blow the shit up. Which the whole reason they are in the thirty second century is because of Zora, yes. before Zora, the, the pre Zora Zora, where Zora <laughs> can't be destroyed. Essentially, although you know, just fly it into the star or something. There's, there's got to be a way there's, to destroy the of ship. Of course, there is. Yep. <laughs> but regardless, now Zora has emotions, which means and feelings for the captain. Kind of like and- when the. Ship's computer fell in love with Kirk, remember? Started calling. (laughs) I don't think it's that. Yeah, I don't think it fell in love with Kirk. I think it just liked calling everybody that, dear. (laughs) Um, It was just a bizarre little twist. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Ah, thank you for bringing that one up. But just the whole, even just just sort of monitoring the, the micro inflections in Michael's voice is you know, concerning. I've mentioned before that, you know, my theory about Zora is Zora becomes too attached to the crew, emotionally involved to the point where Zora starts refusing to do things. That would put them in danger. Right. And they get to a point where the ship becomes useless and they just leave it in a nebula somewhere because Zora won't let them go anywhere or do anything that is dangerous. Zora becomes kind of yeah, uh, you know the worst kind of uh, oppressive, smothering parent. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, you're not allowed to leave the starbase. Um, bad things happen out there in space, yeah. uh, and uh, or something worse. You know, where I think you, you know, is there a link between Zor and the DMA? I, I haven't connected those dots, but there may be some dots there. There may be some dots there. Definitely. So yeah, we yeah, and and Calypso isn't some weird, wacky, out of sync thing. It is a place that ultimately we will get to. I mean, let's face it: in Calypso, someone shows up on the ship. What does Zora do? Falls in love. So yeah. Zora is basically you know, overly emotional, and we're seeing the beginning of that. Not that there was anything wrong with Kraft; he was a lovely guy. Sure, but, he was cute. <laughs> yeah. but the, the point being is that Zora is an emotional being and do you want an emotional being being in charge of the warp engines and the phasers and the shields yeah no no you don't not really nope and I don't want my TV deciding what I should watch either <laughs> <laughs> that's not good for you you know watching all these you know housewife shows you should be watching here we're Ew. gonna we're gonna go to PBS. <laughs> Yeah. You'll enjoy I mean, this documentary on birds. Yes, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's back up to the sea story. So in the last episode, I kind of made fun of the sea story. It was like, it was like too much of this emotional therapy stuff. We've gotten a lot of that this season. And there, was, there were too many scenes with the, the sand sculpture and everything. This was just right. So uh, because something that... Ha- we've talked about before is Dr. Culber is the saintly figure all season. You've picked up on maybe there's something underneath, which we got some last week is he has been a little bit too saintly, too perfect. And here we get 
and they handled this quickly, which is really just with one yeah. scene. Well, say, Kovac only had 10 minutes. Right. I'm in and out. <laughs> you know, I got things to do. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I thought that was great that yeah. Culber has the ultimate version, which makes sense, of anyone who's been resurrected of Survivor's Guilt. And he, Wilson Cruz does such a good job of playing those emotions without overdoing it. Like, I, you feel like he is fighting to hold them back and sometimes they get through. He's just really a very powerful performance. I thought. And they tied it into the DMA and, you know, and what's going on with the crew and in this episode. So it wasn't just kind of out of left field. They put a breadcrumb in the previous episode. Yep. So Which I he brought this up was... this time and said, I almost, you know, sort of crossed a professional boundary. I feel like this was all perfect. The, the big question is, where does it go? Because essentially, Kovic said, give yourself a break. You're only human. Stop pouring yourself into your work, using it as a crutch. You need another outlet. So I don't think he's saying do what Tilly did and quit being a therapist. No. Get yourself a hobby is kind of what he was saying, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's a theme that's come up for Stamets before as the one who is always working so hard um, that he was sort of ignoring his personal life. So that's also a theme of, of the show this season, I think. A smaller one. A sub-theme. I hope it isn't an indication that Culber is going to need a break and needs to go to Starfleet Academy for a few months. No, I don't think it's that. Maybe they'll, you know, start putting on shows in the new bar. (laughs) (laughs) This is all just a way to get us to that musical episode I've been longing for. Oh, you are connecting some serious dots. I am. That's a good one, though. I like that. That's like they could. Sta- I mean, look, Crusher put on all these plays all the time and got everybody to act and sing and dance, and do all these things. So I know this is crisis time, but still, maybe, maybe we'll get a moment, a, a talent show. Yeah, it was like always <laughs> talent night on the Enterprise yes! and on the Voyager too. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, no, they they should do that. They had, listen, there's a lot of singing on Deep Space Nine, also. Speaking of little bits of character development, the tiniest bit was that Reese got a moment. Yes, um, that was nice. Yeah, you know, not only is he off the ship in charge of the uh, evacuation, but they gave it a personal reason. His family was saved by Starfleet officers when he was a kid from a hurricane. Um, so, yeah, I think he mentioned that he had a, this was coming in Vegas, you know, that he, he got a little... A little something. You learn something about Reese. He's not just right. standing right. there on the bridge being Reese. He's he does something. So yep. uh, I thought that was nice. We don't get any Owo and Detmer because we've gotten some stuff from them. But I think I know we're going to get something from Owo this season because we saw in a trailer she was like boxing or something. Oh yeah. Um, and Detmer obviously had a lot last season. Nielsen, we still don't know anything about Nielsen. Except that she takes the con sometimes. Yeah, but, you know, where's she from? And, you know, is she married? Who knows? You know, so. Um, <laughs> where's she from and is she married? Okay. <laughs> well, just anything, you know. Um, I know, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> we know a lot, you know, because Owo grew up on that planet of, uh, you know, Luddites. And we, you know, we got a little bit of, you know, we know we have some backstory. And Detmer's and, got some eye thing but we don't know what it does <laughs> <laughs> no but we know she got it and 
And it got you improved know. upon, I think. She got some new tech. But, you know, we still don't really know what it is. Detmer's had an arc. She went through some stuff last season. She had yep. her issues with Michael Burnham. And she's good. Like, I would like to see her do more because I feel like they, they give her these emotional beats, which get really interesting, and she's very good at them. Instead of Owo, we had a rare alien sighting at the front of the, the bridge set, which was... I love this, the name of this alien species, the, the, the Schlurm, which sounds like something right out of Futurama, but a beautiful alien from Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek has a lot of aliens, but not a lot of Star Wars is great at just kind of crazy aliens and populating its world. And too many Star Trek aliens are basically, you know, forehead aliens in Star Trek. And so which I, love... I understand the reason for like, it doesn't bother me because I'm like, I get it. Like they, you know. Well, you want them to talk and, you know, be characters. Right, want... And yes, yeah, the slurm didn't do any. No, emoting. the slurm is not having any big conversations. <laughs> will not yeah. be at the talent show unless it's just pure dancing, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 you know, it just livens up the show. And because you know, in the 32nd century, we, we kind of expect the Federation and Starfleet to be populated with even more aliens and be yeah. less human centric, especially because earth isn't even part of it you know there's still a lot of humans in starfleet and the federation so the more aliens the better i say yeah you know what it actually made me think about last week's episode when that cadet said that she hadn't ever met other aliens and i was thinking that would have been a cooler thing for an alien to say if we saw an alien saying oh i've never met anyone outside of my species I think that would have made that moment a little more interesting. But anyway, I agree with you. It's cool when they throw in. I like seeing them in the background. I like seeing them just there so that we get the sense that, yeah, there's a really great, diverse mix of beings on the ship. Our, our conversation, just reflecting back, is it's obvious this episode has us talking and thinking and not just nitpicking. Because I think in the yeah. last couple of weeks, we, we kind of fell into these. You know, So I apologize to our podcast. Sometimes we fall into nitpick wells you know mm -hmm. and sure we've had that with this episode but i'm i'm kind of far less interested in that than you know some of these you know what's going on with this character with this you know with zora or you know it's just so this episode had me thinking and that's what i like about star trek it had me laughing thinking not really crying, um, but uh, I don't think no, it was I going for crying anywhere. I'm I'm was a crier, it? but there was nothing for me to cry at in this one. Yeah, but there were there were just these great, there were funny lines, and there were great moments, and there were things that just made you think. Whether it was sort of trying to anticipate what it all means, or just trying to put together the pieces for right then, great lines here and there, and and great moments for pretty much everybody. And also, like, beautiful. The show, As I mean, it's always gorgeous. And I thought, like, those little beetles, the that whole thing was very cool. So the little beetles that then turn into these, like, grinding, wheel-shaped, drilly, terrifying things. And there was yeah. just so much going on there that, that looked great, was scary, worked really well, made sense. That was all really fun. Not that this is a criticism, but they reminded me a lot of what uh, the buzz droids from the prequel Star Wars movies. Oh, I've blocked those out of my memory. I think. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, the, they made good use of the AR wall set because that whole scene was shot the AR wall. Um, And also the way they figured out that they weren't just Beatles. That was a nice 
little tiny thing where she says, why don't you just tell it to ask it to go away? And he's like, I can't. And then they both go, oh, wait a minute. So all, all of those pieces, again, they brought a lot of stuff to every scene. Nothing felt like, oh, let's just, you know, like I said, last week was a checklist. This wasn't a checklist. This was exploration. So this was the first episode written by Kyle Jarrow's a new, he's kind of a new writer, but he's, he's a, he's really a, he's a musician yeah. and a band and he's a playwright. And, and the last episode was directed by John Ottman, who's a film composer and editor who approached Alex Kurtzman apparently and said, I'm just such a huge Star Trek fan. You know, I'd love to direct some Star Trek episodes. You know, this guy's like a big time feature film editor and composers done some directing, but I like how some of the different voices that they have involved are, are influencing the show. I think this was a really good first episode for this writer. Yeah, definitely. It's not his first episode as a writer for television. He's been at it for about five years, but I thought very strong first episode. He's a co-executive producer. He's in the writer's room. So obviously Michelle and Alex are, are involved, yeah, but I, yeah, cause I noticed he had a couple, he had a Jaws reference and a Close Encounters reference, but he was, yeah. he was born in 1979 after both of those movies. So, but he's well steeped at least, you know, cause there's a lot of Star Trek lore in this. There's some great seventies yeah. movies references. So I, I think it was a, a strong outing and writer's rooms go through churn obviously bowie and erica left this year they're on sweet tooth which is a really good show on Netflix, that show's actually. great yeah but they, they've brought in some new voices and we're getting some you know some different flavors here and i i like that so um you know good on alex and michelle for keeping the writer's room fresh and bringing in good new talent both writing and directing yeah i mean this director's done some other episodes uh, but I thought she did a great job. It was very, very well directed. I was talking about the Ottman from last week, but yeah, she's also good th- yeah. this week's director. Yep. So, although she hasn't done a disco since like for a couple years, right? No, so but she's is... done a lot of other shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solid, she's got a solid. good resume. Yeah. Yeah, no, the pacing was very good in this episode. So I thought yeah, the pacing good. was great. I thought the way the stories, you know, kind of wove in and out of each other was great. I thought there were some great bits of, I keep saying great. I'll come up with a new adjective one day. Um, some some snappy bits of dialogue. I think my favorite was um, Tarka saying, you may not like me, but I love me. And I'm not going <laughs> to let this experiment blow me up, which means by extension. And then he like obviously saying, I won't let anyone die because then I would die. And I love yeah. me. They say that a narcissist doesn't know they're a narcissist, but I think the ultimate narcissist uses their own narcissism as a defense to prove themselves. So he is yep. the ultimate narcissist in that way. Yeah. Oh, and there was another good little bit of banter with uh, where he says, great science was never accomplished with caution. And Jet goes, I'm not sure that's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Tig did a great job. Although you could definitely tell she does not like do the techno babble because yep. it's almost like there's two Tigs. There's Tig reading the techno babble and then Tig having some fun, like when she's talking about missing Tilly and stuff like that, and 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 how you you guys almost got us all killed, and it was all that was all great. But then when she has to just read the pure, you know, phaser array diversion stuff a lot of times they cut away from her because i think they have to get it in adr because it takes them like 500 takes so the director's just like fuck it we'll just get it later yeah she can read (laughs) it 
later. It'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. They cut away from her for that stuff, which is fine because we need her to say that stuff. But we don't need to see her if if that makes it too hard to shoot. (laughs) Yeah, apparently we're getting more TIG this season, so uh, which I'm excited about. So I think that's it for the episode, right? You got anything else? Well, I'm not sure if this is a f- important or not, but at the beginning of the season, the president talked about building new spore drive ships. And she showed off the fancy new Archer station. Mm-hmm. And Michael was supposedly, she, you know, she was searching for a captain for one of these ships. So uh, in this episode, Stamets basically said, well, you know, as brilliant as Tarka is, he hasn't figured out how to make them work without me. Well, yeah, um, him or Buck. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was more about like, well, they need us and without yeah. us. This is kind of dumb if you think about it. Both of them are on the Discovery. I if know. there was only two people who could do this, would you have them both on one ship? No. Although at, when the president unveiled Archer Station, Quajon existed. We could only right. assume that there were more people on Quajon who could do what Book does. Yeah. So the destruction of Quajon may be the end of the program unless they figure out how to get the spore drives to work. But in a way, you don't want them to work because you need a reason for the Discovery to remain in the fleet because it is, as he pointed out, an antique. Yeah. A throwaway line, but important. And it's also one of those things that can make life too easy and too convenient, which is a challenge they're dealing with already because of the time period that they're in and all the technological capabilities that were always like, why didn't they just do this? And why didn't they just do that? So if you have a whole fleet of ships that can just like pop in and pop out of everywhere, then it gets harder and harder to find challenges to wrap your stories around. Yep. Your tech can be too good. I mean, it's why back in the day, they would always have to have a reason the transporter couldn't work or, you know, there always had to be some explanation that they brought up for why they couldn't use the tech they're used to using for everything. It's tricky. So can you get drunk on Synthahol? I think you can immediately um, counteract the effect that it has. I think that's the trick of it. Because we learned this week that the lovely new bar lounge only serves synthahol, although you could sneak in alcohol, which Tarka does. All right, so I'm, I'm looking at Memory Alpha because I couldn't resist. And it says that Data once said that synthahol's intoxicating effects can be easily dismissed, which is kind of what I was getting at. So I think you can feel the effect, but you can also somehow control it. They are getting good use out of the bar set, I think. Yes, and it makes sense. They needed a place for people to go. And again, that conversation is a conversation you couldn't have had, you know, in the mess hall, you know, although right. you could have had it in someone's quarters, but, you know, how would you run into them? So, you know, so, so it's a perfect place for that. Kind yeah. Of there's stuff. a whole different vibe in that bar that I think is, that's going to work for them. And it makes sense of somewhere that that book would go Yeah, when he's in that mood. But that this episode basically really got me excited about future ones. Like, I'm so interested in seeing where they go next, and I like so many of the things that they're exploring. Yeah, this has reinvigorated me for season four. I thought the last couple episodes were kind of solid, interesting, but problematic. Mixed bags, good and bad stuff together. This one, almost all good. I still think it's the best of the season, even without Tilly. Yeah, I don't think it's the best of the season, but I think that it worked really well. It was fun. So let's move on to our bits of the week. 
All right, you begin, please. Mine is space news. Not only is William Shatner going into space, so Blue Origin sent up another rocket last weekend, and on board was a live long and prosper pendant supplied by Julie Nimoy with the you know the classic Vulcan salute as a tribute to Leonard Nimoy, and in the same week, Adam Nimoy, one of his other children, donated a pair of Leonard Nimoy Spock ears to the Air and Space Museum. So it's now kind of official history in Washington, D.C. It's just nights that Leonard Nimoy is still out there, still providing inspiration to the world in space. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. All right. Mine is sort of Trek adjacent. It's not really about Star Trek, but it's about Michelle Yeoh. So we've talked about how Michelle Yeoh is really busy. She's doing all these things. A trailer came out like a day or two ago for a movie called Everything Everywhere All at Once. And she's the star of it. And it looks so good. And it's such a wacky, fun trailer that I just think people could see it. It's hard to tell what the story. This is the the plot summary I read. Describes her as an aging Chinese immigrant. And she's swept up in an insane adventure where she has to explore other universes. Um, It says connecting with the lives she could have led. So it is, she gets sort of lost in a multiverse seems to be what it is, but it looks so great. I can't wait to see it. Um, And I think that if there are any Michelle Yeoh fans out there, this is going to make them very, very happy. So she's going to other times and spaces without Carl. Yeah. She's she's cheating on Carl. She's cheating on Carl. (laughs) I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It looks really good. So I will put up a link to it. People can go watch it. All right, so episode 70 of All Access Star Trek. And almost the end of the year, we'll be back next week with episode 406 review from Star Trek Discovery and all the latest news as we get up to Christmas. All right, see you then. Goodbye.